Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to dive right in this morning and go with me to Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to go to chapter 24, Luke chapter 24. And we're going to be starting at verse 46. Again, welcome to everyone. Welcome those joining a live stream. We, uh, Cornerstone Church, Aurora Cornerstone Church, most of us, almost all of us, I don't know if all of us, but most of us have been grafted into this church uh, sometime after the inception of this church. This church is just, this uh, local fellowship here is just over 30 years old, and myself included. Cornerstone Church uh, is a church that they call it an autonomous church, meaning that we are self-governed. And in that self-governing, typical to pretty well every church you see in communities, where they network with other churches. So they just don't remain isolated because that's actually, first of all, it's not biblical. And secondly, it's very dangerous to just be your own entity. So Aurora Cornerstone Church affiliated itself with an affiliation, a fellowship called the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And it's in that affiliation, there's, the major reason is for the fellowship. But in that fellowship, there's a sense of sharing of resources there's a sense of community within that fellowship, and there's also accountability. It's good to be accountable. So fellowships, every fellowship needs accountability. So we're part of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. Now, why is that important? Well, it's only important to the degree that, uh, again, you grow in fellowship. But the word Pentecost is a word that won't be used unless you're talking biblical, something that is a biblical lesson. You don't hear Pentecost in normal language, in the secular word. You don't hear the word Pentecost. And so Pentecost goes back to 2,000 years ago where that word comes. It's a biblical word and thus our church is affiliated with that. It goes back to what happened 2,000 years ago. We read of in the book of Acts chapter 2 where on the day of Pentecost it says, well, the day of Pentecost was recognizing there was a specific day celebrated by the Jewish people 2,000 years ago, which, interestingly enough, is still celebrated. So if you went on your calendar, the Christian calendar, not your secular calendar, they won't recognize it, but if you had a calendar, meaning it, it, had, it came from some Bible group or parachurch organization, often there would be this, this Sunday that would reflect Day of Pentecost, or Pentecost Sunday is what they call it now. Well, when is Pentecost Sunday? It's once a year. Well, Pentecost Sunday comes 50 days after, what do you want to tell me? Easter. 50 days after Easter. So you just do the math. 50 days after Easter comes Pentecost Sunday, and so every year it changes. This year it would land on June the 5th. Now, normally I have just taken time on those particular days because, again, we are affiliate with the fellowship, Pentecostal fellowship, that it just makes sense because there's, there's folk here today. There's, I'm sure there's folk who are joining us online who are saying, what is Pentecost? 
What is that? That sounds strange. And again, you won't hear it unless you go back into the Bible because that's where it's mentioned in Scripture. So what is Pentecost? And what, is it significant? Is, is, is that just a, a name that we've adopted because we were kind of trying to figure out a name and we didn't know what to call it? It goes back 2,000 years ago. They said on the day of Pentecost, and where did they come up with that? Like, where did they come up with that after Christ ascended into heaven and the early church? Where did they come up with Pentecost? Well, they go back 1,500 years prior to that. So, here we are today, what, May the 15th, 2022. You wind back the calendar 3,500 years. Boggled my mind where it began. You can read of it, and if you Google this, you Google from the book of Leviticus, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I believe it's in chapter 16 of Deuteronomy. You, you Google it, you can go back in, and you read of where in the early days, at the time of Moses, they established a number of feasts. And these feasts were feasts. There's food involved, the feast, thus the feast. But they also commemorated something specific. And Pentecost was a part of that. So it goes back 3,500 years. Now I say that before I start into this scripture. Jesus in Luke 24, the setting around Luke 24, Jesus has risen from the dead. He was crucified, he died, he rose from the dead. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's with his disciples. He's with those that have been his followers for over three years. Jesus is about to go to the Father in heaven. He's about to step away. This is the last chapter, and he's giving some final words to his followers. And this is where we pick up these final words. Now, these are significant today because these words relate. These words carry through for the decades and, and centuries that have followed. These words carry through. They're relevant today. So we pick it up. Luke 24, now let's read verse 46. And there's three parts to it. Jesus talks about something past. He talks about something present. And then Jesus begins to predict something to come when he shares these words. Here they are. Luke 24, 46. Jesus told his disciples, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. That was past. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem. He's talking about what is about to take place. Now, he 48, you, his followers, you are witnesses of these things, present. Verse 49, I am going, future, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Now, did you see the three things? They, they intertwine, but I, we need to catch this to see the significance. Past was found in verse 46. He says it was written, past. It was prophesied. The Messiah would suffer, rise from the dead on the third day. That was the past. It was predicted that this would happen. And it did. Jesus was the fulfillment of that. Then he says in verse 48, you witnessed this. Guys, you saw this. This is in the time. It was all in your, you saw me crucified. Now you see me risen from the dead. <laughs> Praise God. Present. Future, 49. 
I am going to send you what my Father has promised. See that? I am going to send you what my Father has promised. A promise. Future. Hasn't happened yet. You need to stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Now what city? Verse 47. He said that it would begin in Jerusalem. So whatever this future event Jesus was specifying would happen in Jerusalem. Now they're not in Jerusalem right now. They're in Bethany. He says, but you go to Jerusalem and there I promise something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. I have to go now. And then the promise would be received. But you got to go there to get the promise. You following? You see how? So sometimes we read through this and we don't realize the dynamic of interchange that Jesus, as Luke was recording this, I don't know if, if Luke was struggling to keep up to all this when he wrote this down, or how it all came. It seems a little discombobulated. Like if I did it, I would have reworded it a little differently. So we, this 2,000 years later, are trying to, okay, so promised Messiah would come. Rise from the dead. It's happened. Here are the people who actually saw it. You're here. Now, from this moment forward, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. You need to go there to get it. That's what you need to do. There's the promise. And then before he left in Bethany, he blessed them. Now, we pick this up in verse... Um, uh, actually, before I, I go to... I'm going to take you to another, another text in just a moment. The title of my message this morning is From Bethany's Blessing to Pentecost Power. There's a journey. And I'm thrilled about the journey of faith that we are on. I personally, I'm a person, that I, can, I have a tendency to get discontent. So I am thrilled that the, the faith journey, the spiritual journey, is a journey. That it didn't all happen one day. I didn't get the full download at one. I'm, I'm thankful for, you know, what do they call these, these um, uh, when you get these on your, in your computer and they keep um, updating? You get, I'm thankful for updates. That God has new things that he is giving his body, his church, believers. And so don't just be satisfied here. Grow. This is the beginning of a growth journey. It began in Bethany. So the title of my message, From Bethany's Blessing to Pentecost Power. Verse 50, when it says he blessed them, the word blessed is a Greek word, and it is pronounced... It means praise to speak well of, to bless. That's the Greek word. It's where we get our word today, eulogy. So when you go to a funeral, you hear a eulogy, that's where the word came from. It's the Greek word, eulogeo. It means to thank or invoke a benediction upon to prosper. So when Jesus blessed them at Bethany, that's what he did. He gave a eulogy. He gave a spoke well of. He gave thanks. He invoked a blessing upon them. He invoked a blessing that they would prosper. That in the days ahead they would prosper. And then in that blessing he said, now go to the promise. You need to go to the promise. You have to go to another place. This is Bethany, the place of blessing. Now go to the promise. Now, theologians have told us that when Jesus ascended to heaven from Bethany, that people got really excited about that whole thing. Like, you know, this was the place where we last saw Jesus. This was the place where his feet last touched this earth. And they made monuments in Bethany. Monuments of Jesus. We're told that historically they began to do that. 
Jesus never wanted that. Bethany was never to be the final place. It was never to be the place where you are to think back and reflect on Bethany. Jesus' words were very clear. I bless you here, but the promise is there. If you stay here, you're disobedient. You need to go there. Jesus made that clear. But we as people, our nature is to build monuments about certain moments in time. We continue to do that today. When people discover a town or a city or a village or an island or a country, you know, then monuments are made to commemorate that they were the first and, and we want to remember this moment. They did that at Bethany. But here's the problem. You get stuck at Bethany, I'm figuratively speaking, you get stuck at Bethany and you never make it to Jerusalem. You get stuck at the place of just receiving the initial blessing, forgetting there's a promise that is yet to be received. The purpose of the blessing was to get you to the promise. <laughs> okay, you fall. So I know I'm really drumming the drum on this one. Because too many have stopped at Bethany. Too many have stopped short of what he asked us to receive. There's something here. So what happens in the faith? If we don't get the here over there, if we don't go there, then our faith here tends to become discontent. We tend to become dissatisfied here. We tend to become bored here. We begin to second guess. It seems unfulfilled. There's something missing. And that really describes so many who begin to leave the faith. And I'm going to suggest you leave the faith because you're still in Bethany. You're still here when you've been told there's more to go to. And if we don't go to the more, then we think after a while, you know, those monuments get really, like they're really cute at first. But after a while, they're old stories. And it's easy to become discontent. And there are those here, and I'm going to suggest there are so many followers of Jesus who've received the blessing of salvation feeling totally dissatisfied in their faith. Many of them, don't even, they're not even here. Don't even go to church anymore. If you ask them, are you a Christian? They'd say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. Do you believe in Jesus Christ's son? Died and rose from the dead? Yes. How does it affect you every day? It doesn't. It doesn't. I live my life for this world. But yes, I believe it. Now you hear it. There's a huge disconnection there. Because we haven't moved there. Jesus was very, his last words were, I bless you. Now you've got to get going. There's something more. And if you don't receive the more, this won't fully satisfy. He draws you to that place. The blessing of Bethany to the promise of Pentecost. So the same writer to the Gospel of Luke, Luke, the same writer wrote the book of Acts. So now we're going to go to Acts chapter 1. I invite you to go there. Acts chapter 1. And really when you read the Gospel of Luke, and I do this in my personal time, when I read the Gospel of Luke from Luke chapter 1 right through to 24, when I get done 24, I always go immediately to the book of Acts because Luke wrote Acts and it was a continuation of Luke. So now we go to Acts chapter 1 and Luke is retelling the story. He's adding a bit now as he writes it in Acts chapter 1. We're going to pick it up verse 4. While Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Basically, he's saying the same thing he spoke back in chapter 24. While he gave, this, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, 
But wait for the gift. Now he adds to it. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Verse 5. For John the Baptist, for John baptized with water, John the Baptist, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Future event. Okay, can we just do that again? Slow down. We've got to read this. He's telling them the same thing he did in chapter 24. Go to Jerusalem, he's saying. And there, wait for a gift that has been promised you. In other words, it's for everybody. It's promised. Which you've heard me speak about. It's a different gift than the gift of baptism of John the Baptist. That was a baptism of water into salvation. You're saved. Follower of Jesus. But now you're going to be baptized with the baptism of Holy Spirit. A gift of Holy Spirit. Now let's go down to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And you're going to go right around the earth, guys. And after this, he was taken before their eyes. They ascended. So Luke is adding, when he writes Acts chapter 1, he's adding to what he shared in Luke chapter 24. He's saying, this gift, why is it so important? First of all, it's a gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve the gift of salvation for that matter. You, don't, you can't earn it. You can't work it up. It's a gift. But it's a gift that's been promised by God. And if he promises, he's good to fulfill it. And he says, but why do you, what will happen when you receive this gift? What's this gift? What is this gift about? This gift is about the power of the Holy Spirit. Note that power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, back in chapter 24, he talked about a baptism, meaning an immersion. Another translation speaks to being clothed. You will be my witnesses. And what will happen? With that power, all of a sudden, you'll have a story to share. You will share Christ to the world. Too many times we're stuck back at Bethany, though. We're stuck back at the place of the blessing, and we don't get to the place of the promise where we've not had the power, the promise of that Holy Spirit, the outpouring, the clothing of that Holy Spirit. We, multiple terms where the Holy Spirit reigns on us. The Holy Spirit baptizes. Holy Spirit clothes us. The Holy Spirit endues us. He infills us. He f- overflows us. All of those are terms that are used when describing what he was inviting them to. But often we stop Short of that. And I want to suggest that that certain point, there's, there's a sticking point that, we, that causes us to stay back that we don't get to the promise. And let me just tell you my story. Because I can't tell other people's stories. But my story was when I was 14 years old, I was a follower of Jesus at 14. I was a young teenager. And I was in a youth service. And in that youth service, they were preaching on something similar to this. I don't remember the exact, any of that. I remember, though, they said, do you want this power to be enclosed with this, uh, this infilling of the Holy Spirit? Do you desire that? Because, again, that's the promise. You've received, now go and receive, receive the infilling of the Spirit. Be baptized. And I thought 14 years of age, yeah, I could really use that. You know, I was up against a lot of pressures at 14 with some secular stuff going on. A lot of my close friends were secular, and I was being drawn towards that. So in that youth meeting, it was like, come, and we will pray for you. We went forward. I went forward in that meeting, and, and others were prayed for. I was prayed for, and, 
I remember, you know, I was told to, you know, hold my hands this way and to speak a certain way and, and different things. And, and this clothing of the Holy Spirit, this baptism would happen. And it didn't. It didn't. And so what became my sticking point for the next number of years, I didn't want anything to do with that. So the next year, a year later, two years later, three years later, four years later, five years later, wasn't until I was 19 years old and I was in an entirely different setting. And it wasn't in a, it wasn't in a youth meeting. It wasn't in a specific meeting. It was a period of time in my life where I was thinking back to when I was 14, five years before, and I was 19 years old at the time, thinking back, God, I need more of you. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. It's not that you're not good enough. And it's not that I don't sense your presence. But there's something missing. I'm scared to open my mouth about my faith. I'm scared to let my light shine. I'm scared to be a witness. And I, when I read, I, I don't understand much. And when I start to share, it doesn't make any sense to anybody. And I just, I've, I'm, I've hit a wall in my faith. I was 19 years old. That's where I was at. I remember very vividly. Because it was a crisis moment in my life. I love you, Lord, but I'm stuck. I'm stuck in my faith. And I began to read these things again, what we're talking about today. So I began to pursue him. I did it privately this time. I began to in the morning, often in the evenings. I never would kneel, but I would kneel before my bed. And I would say, God, I need more of you. Lord, I just want to call on you. I need to see you in a way I've never seen you before. God, I need to love you in a way I've never loved you before. Help me, God. I know it's there. I see it happening in others, but Lord, why not me? I long for you. I long for you as, you know, one would long for water in a desert. And day after day, I would hunger for that. And my hunger increased day after day. God, fill me with your whole. If you promised it, then why are you holding out? Are you holding out or is there a problem with me? And believe me, I confessed every sin known to me and every sin I could think of. Sins I'm, you know, I was confessing murder and I don't think I murdered anybody. God, is there anything that hinders your spirit's power? I'm saying that kind of tongue-in-cheek because I didn't want anything to stop. I hungered. Now, here's the difference between 19 years of age and 14 for Wayne Lucas. At 14, I just wanted a quick experience. Walk forward, get it. Thank you. I got it. Didn't happen. Now, really bugged me because at 19, I had met Lori. And I would met her before. We went to school together. But at 19, we were dating each other when we were 19. When Lori got saved as a teenager... On the very day she got saved, she got baptized in the Holy Spirit, too. And I thought, that is so sick. <laughs> How did she get it in one day? And I've been five years getting nothing. I mean, yeah, I, salvation. And she got it all the same day. I was mad. Like, what does she do right that I'm doing wrong? That's why I confessed everything. And I hungered. When I was 14, I wanted it that day. I walked to the front of that youth group. That didn't happen. When I was 19, that didn't matter anymore. What mattered is, God, I will seek you until I find you. See, at 19, it took weeks. And I would, and Lord remembers, I would get, and I would drive away, and I would spend time just with the Lord. I would just, God, it's not necessarily going to be at the front. It could be here. It, could be, it doesn't, 
The setting matters not. God, I hunger for you. Because where I'm at, I know it's not where you want me to be. You've asked me to go to this promise. And I'm having a hard time figuring out where this promise is. But I got to get there. That's where I was when I was 19. And then, yes, indeed, it was at the front of a large building with 500 people this time. Before, it was only like 15. Now it was in front of 500 where a call was made. And, but I was, whether there or next week or a month later, didn't matter to me because the promise is still there. I would receive, and I went. And God baptized me glorious with his Holy Spirit. But that was the journey. That was my journey. I'm sharing my sticking point because a number of you have had sticking points where you feel stuck. Some of you, maybe you're stuck because you were told that it's not possible. You were told maybe that it wasn't of God. You were told that you were baptized and you received everything the day you got saved. That first moment, you were told that maybe some, it's been a gift. There's so much stuff out there. It was a gift and only 10 to 15% of people actually have the gift. Some have the gift of healing. Some have the gift of faith. Some have the gift of word of knowledge. Some have the gift of prophecy. Some have the gift of tongues. And that, therefore, you don't have it. 85% of the people don't have it. And so that's probably you. You were told that. But Jesus never said that. Jesus says, it's for all. All who would seek, you can receive. The promise is for all, he said. So seek. And sometimes our sticking point, maybe you, like me, got hurt. Maybe you, like me, had a moment where you, something happened, you got hurt, and so you're not going to do that again. That was me for five years. Maybe some, you've, you've seen some weirdness, and there's weirdness around. You know, if the devil can't stop you from believing, he will show you the excess. And you'll go, oh, that's just too goofy. That's, that's not God. And it wasn't. And so therefore, I won't go for it. And so you saw something. Somebody tried to shove it down your throat. Somebody, somebody stepped over the line. And now you're not interested. I'm, I'm saying there are multiple walls that we hit up against, sticking points. And for the early church, it was Bethany. For the early church, they could stay there at the place of blessing and never make it to the place of the promise. And his invitation, you got to go to the place of promise. The place of the promise is where God is going to pour out his spirit. Acts chapter 2, the next chapter, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that word fully means fulfilled, the Holy Spirit fell. When the day of Pentecost was fully... What was Pentecost? Remember, it was, a, it was a feast from 1,500 years before. When that day had fully come means when it, there's a fulfillment that took place. Let me just talk quickly about the fulfillment. I don't want to spend a lot of time. Some of you like history a little bit more than others. Those of you who don't, I won't bore you. Simply this. What was the day of Pentecost? It was a feast that they observed. Still, Jewish people still, there's an observe, observing of this feast. The day of Pentecost, the feast they spoke of, took place back 1,500 years prior at the time of the Passover. Remember the story where in Moses they were coming out of Egypt and they had to put blood on the mantles of the doors so that the Lord would pass over and the firstborn would be saved. Otherwise, the firstborn would die. And that Passover event, the Jews still celebrate it, and that lands today on our Christian calendar, Easter, Okay, so that Passover, that was called the Feast of Passover. That was the first feast. It, it deals with 
deliverance from bondage. He's going to take you from the land of slavery to the land that is not slavery. Secondly, there's a second feast. It was spoken of a feast of unleavened bread. It was their second feast. This was with yeast and with leaven, symbolic of sin. It was the idea that Jesus would, the Messiah would be buried into the ground. Then there was a third feast. It was the picture of feast of first fruits. And every year they would take the first fruits of their crop and they would offer it to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the first fruit. Predicted the resurrection of Christ. He was the first of the resurrection. And by the way, we would all one day join him. Jesus was the first. Means first fruit. Fourth feast, Feast of Pentecost. It was often called by another name. It was frequently called either Feast of Pentecost. It was called the Feast of Weeks. It was called the Feast of Harvest. What was that? It was they, the beginning of their harvest they celebrated. So the first of their harvest they celebrated. And that is the feast that it said on Acts chapter 2, when it was fully come. When that feast was fulfilled, spoke of there would be now a great harvest. The day of the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that day in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 came in. The next day, it was 5,000. And then it went around the world. It was the first of a new harvest. Spoken of a way back 3,500 years before. Of, that's why scripture is so amazing. When you put it all together, it's just like, whoa, this is so cool. I see how it all traces through. And so we have the Feast of Pentecost. Now, for your information, there was another feast. It was called the Feast of Trumpets. It was their fifth feast. We have yet to see it. What do you think the Feast of Trumpets speaks of? When the trumpet call was given, the dead in Christ will rise. That's yet to come. That feast is yet to be fulfilled. It's the Feast of Trumpets, spoke of a way back. It will one day, the trumpet call, the saints will be with the Lord and forever to be in his presence. Yet to come, the Feast of Trumpets still takes place. Pretty cool. So why is it important to leave the blessings of Bethany to get to Jerusalem's Pentecost power? Why is that so important? I want to share five things. Here they are. Number one, we are carried beyond theory to experience when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, no longer is it just theory. We experience God in a personal way that is unique. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit would rest on them individually. Not just a group. Boom, boom. Rested on each one, it said. Personally. It's a personal experience. It has been said that there are many people who have all the right information, but not enough people who have an effective experience. We need people with an experience of God to transform the world we live in. Not just with theory. When the Holy Spirit immerses you, he moves you beyond good information to a place where there's peace, assurance, conviction, and direction. Jesus becomes unmistakably real in personal life-giving experience in an unanticipated way. Oh, when the Holy Spirit comes, we are carried beyond theory. We've experienced him. Secondly, when God fills us with his spirit, we experience clarity of purpose and message. Jesus said, you will be witnesses. We will be witnesses. We will have a clarity of what to say. It will be clear in a way that it wasn't prior. When the Holy Spirit fills us, there's a way that we begin to dis, uh, release that information 
that is easily understood in a way before it was all discombobulated. No longer will you be a slave to fear, paralyzed about what to say and what not to say. You'll discover there is an unction, a power of power of love and sound mind. No longer slave to fear. There will be a boldness and a clarity to mission in life. Why am I here? Now it begins to make sense. On the day I, when I was 19, was baptized in the Spirit, on that day, God told me what to do for the rest of my life. I didn't know prior to that. On that day, I knew. There was clarity about that. When the Holy Spirit immerses you, He moves you beyond good information to that place where you can discern clarity of what my life direction will be. The Holy Spirit, when He fills us, He doesn't fill us to be reckless people. We will not become insensitive to people around us. It is not to, to disregard uh, others' journeys in life. But it will be that you will place your trust wholly upon the Lord. That God cares about your brother and sister. You will have compassion on your neighbor in a way you didn't prior. You will have a heart's desire to pray for the lost. You care for relatives and, and cousins that you didn't care for so much. You know, all of a sudden, their salvation means so much to you. When you counter people at work, all of a sudden it just is heavy on your heart. Something happens. What happens is you're carried behind, you're moved from clarity to purpose and message, which brings you to point number three. When God fills us with his Holy Spirit, we are carried beyond argument to witness. Peter and John in Acts chapter four, filled in the Holy Spirit, they were speaking, many were coming into the faith. The officials of the day were threatened by it, and so they arrested them, and they implored them, stop speaking by the name of Jesus, in which they replied in Acts 4, 20. They says, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. You will be carried beyond an argument, just to argue, to say, yeah, here's what the Bible says, here's what the Bible says, here's what I've been taught, to you will, just as I did about five minutes ago, you will tell the story. It'll be a personal story. It'll be your story. It'll be your experience. You will be witness to something. To be a witness is to simply tell what you've seen and heard. That's what witnesses do. When you're brought up before a jury and you, you sit on the stand, you simply are to tell what you've seen and what you heard. You don't give an argument for it. You simply tell what you have witnessed. You don't have to apologize. You don't have to build up a defense mechanism. You simply state what you've experienced and you leave it to God to convict the lives that you share too. The infilling of the power of the Holy Spirit lets us know when to lay argument aside and simply tell what we have experienced. Number four, when God sends his fire, we are carried beyond ineffectiveness to effectiveness. We begin to see fruit. I'm not saying we understand everything, quite to the contrary. However, when we move from the place of Bethany's blessing to the place of power, Holy Spirit power, he will enable you to trust God in a way that you will see fruitfulness in ways that you had not seen fruitfulness in your life. Things begin to happen. The power of the Holy Spirit transforms through you in ways he couldn't before. Through dependence on the Spirit's power, we discover that in my weakness, he's turned my weakness into strength by the power of his Holy Spirit. And number five, when we move from Bethany to Pentecost, 
We are transformed into disciples of Christ rather than just believers. I think today's world is looking for more than a logical defense to believe in something. They just don't want another belief. There's thousands of beliefs out there. The world is waiting to see Christians, waiting to see Christians, do you live what you believe? Do we see evidence that this is truly life-changing? That's why Jesus says, don't stay here at the place of blessing. Go receive the promise power. Receive the power. He will clothe you with power from on high. The world is looking for something authentic. It's not looking for a wishy-washy emotional group of things. It's looking for something real. The Holy Spirit imparts power to us so that Christ can work through us, extending his kingdom to this world. And so, today, maybe you are one of many who I know would in their hearts say, I need more than what I'm presently experiencing. I need this life-changing power of Holy Spirit. Can I believe it's for me? And it doesn't mean that you have not been endued with power from on high because there are those who've walked through the baptism experience and yet life got in the way and it's like you've been emptied of all that God has poured upon you. And I've discovered in my life, I have to, when you, it's not a one time you get filled. It's a, all the time. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. When I got up this morning, it was one of my prayers. Fill me with your Holy Spirit today, God. Because life, I don't know. I don't know if the, how we leak. We seem to leak. We seem to leak what God is doing in our life. It seems to just leak out of our lives. So fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm losing the fire. I need the fire of your Holy Spirit. And I believe God longs to minister his Holy Spirit in the same way he has over the last 2,000 years, that he would fill us every moment of every day. So this morning, will you ask the Lord to fill you with his Holy Spirit? Are you here? Maybe online. You know, it's no respecter. You don't have to be here. But do you desire the infilling of his Spirit? God, fill me. Fill me again. Fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.